Yeah. Once we're past Halloween, it's Christmas time, baby. Do you skip over Thanksgiving? I don't Thanksgiving? care about Thanksgiving. What? I know. I feel like it's a little disrespectful to uh, Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? I know. I, I'm sorry like, for Thanksgiving. is a good time. I give thanks all year. I don't need a day for it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need a day for it. Welcome to TikTok Theology, a podcast that tackles the major trending topics on social media that concern the Christian faith. I'm Megan. And I'm Steven. We know you can't form a theology in three minutes or less, but those videos can identify current issues. TikTok will give us the prompt and then we'll do a deep dive. Thanks for joining us in this exploration. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today, we're going to be chatting about is the age-old question, <laughs> is the Bible anti-women? And I think we've got a lot of good stuff coming for you. Me as a woman, <laughs> Stephen as a theologian scholar, I think we've got some good perspectives to go ahead and tackle this question for you yes. all. So yes. why don't we begin with... Why, why do we care? Why does Gen Z care? You may ask. Mm. Um, and I think that, especially as a woman, um, it's been, it's been an interesting, you know, process to, to be where we are now. Cause obviously we're so women have a lot more in the U S have a lot more rights and freedoms and stuff than we've ever had. And I, I've yep. heard that argument before of like why this doesn't really matter that much. Um, but it's, it's like a, it's an institutional of, it's an institution of the system where it's like women are still like considered lesser in a lot of ways. And this happens a lot, even like in women's sports, which was huge recently, um, was like when the women go to the world cup and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing, or like world stage sports. And then you look on the comments section and it's just a bunch of men being like, why would I watch this? And (laughs) yeah. And like, Oh, they're not as good and whatever, whatever. So it's definitely been, it's been something that I've wrestled with a lot in my early twenties for sure about like, huh, the world feels kind of anti-women to some degree. Mm. Is this like, is God anti-women? Cause I know that the Bible's kind of patriarchal and all these things. And so it's been, it's been a question that I've seen on TikTok of a lot of people, a lot of women specifically either like trying to reject religion. Cause they're like, well, God is, God doesn't even like women that much. Yeah. So why would I want to be a Christian when God doesn't even like women? That's fair. Um, and so, so that kind of stuff. And so I think that as a woman, as a Christian, as a licensed pastor, I do think that there is a lot to unpack about Mm -hmm. (laughs) what the Bible has to say and what God has to say about women and how it may not be what we feel like it is at first glance. I think that's a super important topic. Um, Yeah. So we're, we're coming from a tradition, uh, the Foursquare Church, that is uh, very egalitarian. Yes. Um, so we champion women in, in ministry and have uh, were founded by a woman. And so, I mean, those are two slightly different but interrelated topics. Yeah. Is, um, is one of them is the Bible anti-women in the first place. Like the period, sec- full stop. Yeah, yeah. And then the second one, um, to what extent should women be in ministry? Right. So, uh, because I think most everybody like should say, the Bible isn't anti-women right. and then like give you stuff, but then, but then you hit them with the, but women should be silent and right, 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 <laughs> women right. should not hold authority over a man. And exactly. everyone's like, Oh, Oh, but not actually, you know what not I'm saying? Not for real yeah. though. <laughs> yeah. so, Absolutely. so I think, so I think we'd have to approach that with, with two topics and um, there's two big views that you'll see in, in Christianity and um, those are called egalitarianism and complementarianism. Mm-hmm. And so egalitarianism is that men and women are equal um, in, you know, as children of God and have full rights as, 
you know, as however, such, yeah, as such right. however you want to think about it and, and that they're fully equipped and called to do ministry as well. Yeah. And so, uh, so if God calls a woman to be a pastor, then God is calling the woman to be a pastor, period. Period. That's it. Yep. And then, um, the second one is, and obviously there's a lot more like rationale behind <laughs> yes. what's going on, but that's just like a basis of what, what that means. The complementarianism, um, essentially says women are equal, but they complement each other. So men and women's roles are different. Yeah. And so, uh, so in the church, uh, men are called to lead in certain things. Women are called to lead in other things. But then what you end up finding is that uh, complementarian views do tend to kind of rearticulate or reaffirm our patriarchal social values. Right. So, uh, so like where, where men lead, the women follow that kind of, that kind of a deal. Right. So, um, so a good complementarian theologian or pastor, I think will go out of their way to talk about how men and women are actually truly equal. Mm-hmm. Um, that God sees us to- totally equal. I think they'll say that for sure. Yeah. But then they'll go into what we were just talking about. But since the roles are different and defined right. differently, um, you know, we need to respect that. But then again, the implications, you know, are you reinforcing an ideal that's not necessarily biblical? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's more patriarchal. So, I mean, I, that's all the stuff we'll hit into. I think uh, very interestingly too, recently, two massive churches left their denomination yes. um, over this very issue, yes. women in ministry. So first there's Saddleback. Saddleback. Yeah, they got kicked out of the SBC, does a uh, Southern, Southern Baptist, Baptist Convention. Convention. And um, um, because they wanted to ordain women. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this is Rick Warren's church. I mean, he wrote the Purpose Driven Church, Purpose Driven Life. So like hugely influential, yeah. just uh, all around, you know, good dude. He like, in his testimony, he's like a reverse tither. He ties like, like 90%, like lives <laughs> off of 10. He had the same like uh, old vehicle that he had his whole time in ministry. Yeah. Like he was just like a really, really powerful testimony of just yeah. like a good, you know, guy with a lot of integrity. Yeah. And then, um, and so they're, they're gone and that's huge. They were, there was a mega church in Southern California and they had multiple campuses. Yeah. Um, so they're no longer in the Southern Baptist convention. And then like a month later, and that's just happened this summer too, um, elevation, which mm. a lot of people didn't even realize there were Southern Baptist convention. Yeah. Um, cause they're so like Pentecostally. Yeah. They're but, just spiritually. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're just, they're a little bit on that charismatic side of things, yeah. but they were, uh, um, Southern Baptist convention and they willingly left for the same reason. They wanted to, uh, have, women in ministry and they yeah. have like uh, a ton of campuses. Yeah. So that's, that's a they're big, huge. yeah, they're huge. They're all around North Carolina, South Carolina, and they're opening other ones in other States. Yeah. One of my buddies was a production director at one of the churches. And um, he said it was just like a really beautifully run organization where like people are really like love towards each other and have like really good accountability love and stuff that. like that. So that's, that's refreshing and good to hear about yeah. a mega church, you know, cause um, that's so nice. After yeah. other documentaries and such have yes, emerged, yes, exactly. <laughs> it's nice to know that churches are still the, they're still there, still, still loving and still serving yeah. and all the things. I think that something major about the so I Foursquare is egalitarian, right? Mm. And I was raised in a Baptist school, mm. Foursquare Church Baptist school, and I remember being in my seventh grade Bible class, and my teacher looked at me. And because I'd said I wanted to go into ministry because I didn't have any nuance children's for, ministry. Imagine no. <laughs> and I didn't have any like nuance for theological views like that yet. Cause I was in seventh grade Yeah, and it was, and she called me demonic in the back, in the what? middle of my class. And so that was such like a moment for me where I was like, Oh my gosh. I was like, Oh my God. Your, your parents didn't go in there and slap people around. No, my mom was also a pastor at the time. And so they were like, no, Oh man. So not, that not a Mila. Oof. 
Oh yeah. So yeah, that was really there. traumatic for me for, for a second. And I was really like, cause this was the place that like was a Christian, like I thought like a general Christian school. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like this thing that I really thought that I, God was calling me to, That's I'm crazy. I'm demonic, not just like regular <laughs> demonic. Yeah. And so I was like, <laughs> okay. And so I think that was good for me because in a lot of ways I really had to wrestle with what I believed about women yeah. period. And then women in leadership uh-huh. because from, I was like, okay, either my calling that I felt at camp is real or yeah. it's not. And either I'm going to follow it or, or I'm not. And so I think from like a really early age, I, I had a lot of interest in mm. this kind of like yeah. sphere of theology and influence. I, I, you probably felt uh, the need for justice in it a little bit. Yeah. Cause I was like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm in seventh grade. And then mm. I was like, okay, it started from, I have a lot of questions and then it started to, I want to advocate for <laughs> yeah. or be knowledgeable in. Cause I, it's not the first time that people have asked questions of, yeah. and then my mom is now a senior pastor mm-hmm. at a church. And so it's not the first time that people have made comments to her or to me. And I felt like I want to have a response. Yeah. Like when people are going to, to, to ask me questions or to say that I'm, you know, walking in sin or whatever, like I want to be able to have a response. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of like the gist of what we're going to be walking through is, is a little bit of like a What's response. biblical response. Yeah, yeah. To, to, and it's like, you're allowed, please hear me. Like you are allowed to not believe in women in ministry. Yeah. I think it's a bummer and I think you're missing out, but you are allowed to not believe it in does, women It doesn't in make ministry. you not a Christian. There's no. so many Christians that, that hold to that. And as we'll see, the scriptures are, a little bit difficult to exegete. Yes. It's not, it's not like it, it's not, it's an, not a black and white. Yeah, it's not black and white. Mm-hmm. So like it, it is understandable that people will come to this, to this view. Absolutely. So we don't want to demonize anybody kind of like a literally, literally like know, I was. <laughs> and, but I think there is a fine line where it's like, you can hold two different beliefs, but I would really caution anybody from calling anyone demonic. Oh yeah. Um, if you <laughs> are pursuing something that maybe, how about, how about we just don't call people demonic? That'd be really general, cool. I think you know we should. I, mean? I think that's a good rule of thumb, yeah. <laughs> Christian right. rule of thumb. Yeah. But I think so a huge piece that I've, I've heard a lot in my Baptist school upbringing. And then since is that the, this term helper, um, mm-hmm. that we get a lot is, oh, well, men are the important part and mm-hmm. then women are helpers. Yeah. And I was actually reading for my master's thesis recently and one of the scholars, his name is Stanley Grenz, and was talking about how like helper, the term helper used in, in Genesis in the original language mm-hmm. um, is the same term that's used to describe God and like how he helps Israel over the course mm-hmm. of Israel's history. And I think that that's so interesting because it's like, well, you wouldn't say that that part of God is inferior. Yeah. You're not saying, oh, well, God helping the Israelites is actually pretty, pretty embarrassing, right. pretty, pretty low yeah, yeah. on the, on the totem pole, pretty ins- insignificant. Yeah. And so I think that when we're using terms like helper to describe women, but as a way to, to make them as subordinates. Yeah. That's the problem. That's the problem is because, mm-hmm women in this description in Genesis, women as helpers, I will make you a helper. That is not a subordinate. <laughs> that is not a call to be subordinate. Yeah. Think about like, um, like the, the helping professions, mm-hmm. like you don't think about psychologists and counselors as subordinates. As subordinates yeah. No. And especially now they've become more necessary than ever. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, so helper, first of all, that is not a derogatory statement. That right. is actually a huge mantle because that is a role that has been give, given to women mm-hmm. in the same manner in which it, God took it on in, in relation to Israel. But also I saw a thing where, and, and, and you can have your thoughts and feelings. Everyone can have their thoughts and feelings about this, but Stanley Grenz was writing and was saying that, that um, 
the equality of men and women in the garden um, was how God intended it to be. And the fall is what created. And then there's, that's when the curse comes of the, where he tells like, where he tells the woman that like you will long after your husband and you will all that kind of stuff. I think there's a good thing too. Like I heard this, um, people have written about it before, but I heard a pastor preach about it many, many years ago. And I was like, Oh, that's so good. It was a woman pastor by the way. Come on. (laughs) And, um, and she said, uh, well, think about Adam and Eve. Eve wasn't taken extracted from Adam's head to talk about superiority. Hmm. Wasn't extracted from Adam's feet to talk about inferiority, Inferiority. but from the side, Hmm. which talks about equality. Yeah. So, um, and then they're made one flesh, right? Yeah. Which is equality. So like right there, I think, yeah, if you look at the garden of Eden, um, it's a huge display. I would agree with Stanley Grant. Yeah. Yeah. That he's like, so it's like the, 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 the curse of the fall is what has created this inferiority of like, Oh, women are subordinate. And I, I would argue that treating women equally is as close Mm -hmm. to Eden in relationship as you could (laughs) like, you know, as, as you can kind of get when, especially, I mean, besides when, when you're not married, obviously we got the one flesh going on, but Mm -hmm. like respecting women in your space. Yeah and all that kind of stuff is like you treating them as an equal is the original intention. I think the natural inclination to subordinate women has to do with physical strength. Mm-hmm. And um, just like think about all throughout history and stuff like that, like yeah. uh, might, might makes right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Men are physically stronger, which is obviously not always the case. Not right? always, right. <laughs> but like, but I, can, like, I can bench something. Hey, come on, I know some come, of on these men <laughs> come on, Megan. You know, I can bench uh, 300 pounds. Just not all at the same time. <laughs> Come on, Do one little, at a time. A little Let's bit go. at a time, <laughs> add it up, get it in there. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's the, I think when you talk about helping, the Holy Spirit is called helper, advocate, yeah. counselor, a whole bunch of words like that. Mm-hmm. But think about what these words actually talk about. It's like, the, they're called like the, the jobs, the helping professions, mm-hmm. because they help people get right. Yes. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's, that's really that what I was part. talking about. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so like, um, like psychologically, you know, mentally, uh, just, uh, like, you know, your heart posture, all these kinds yeah. of things like they help people get right. Oh yeah. So think about God as helping people get right and how and he does. And he does. <laughs> and so if women reflect that, that, that means maybe that women have a, a better propensity to help people get right. Right. Which is not talking towards subordination. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's also even like they've done a lot of research recently of like feminine leadership versus masculine leadership mm-hmm. and how feminine leadership actually serves better. Not because so, but here's fr- like here, friends, we're not saying men leadership versus female leadership. I've had excellent leaders on both male and female. Yeah, absolutely. And having feminine or masculine qualities does not like a male can have feminine leadership qualities. The the statement here is, is that it's more about being able to like talk communication and talk things through. It's less hot headed. There's more empathy, like Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. It's not about, well, let's just knock it down. It's not like power. It's, it's more of like, (laughs) <laughs> more relational seems a little more like a, like a communal leadership. Yeah, style. absolutely. It's supposed to top and down. Yeah. And there's been studies done that I'll link, I'll find and link in the show notes of like the aspects of feminine leadership that mm-hmm. are actually very effective yeah. and that it doesn't have to be like, and, the, and a man can have feminine leadership qualities. So it's not saying like we need to put all women in power, right. but <laughs> cause that's just reversing the, the same issue. Yeah. But is, is these parts that like being feminine is not a disadvantage and being feminine does not mean you are weak. And also, I think all that kind of stuff, you know, maturity, uh, in general, I statistically think, happens faster for women. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I was going to say, but that part too, but, um, but, um, thank you, Megan. You're welcome. So Sorry. I'm, I had to drop I'm, that uh, in there. I'm a uh, 38 You're 22. Mm-hmm. So we're probably around the same maturity level at this point. Anyways, no, what I was going to say is maturity yeah. kind of entails people growing towards 
the other. Yeah. Right. And so like it, it entails women growing towards men yeah. and men growing towards women. Right. So not becoming not who they are, mm-hmm. but like when you get leadership style, like we learn from each other, we yeah. grow from each other. Oh you know what gosh. I'm saying? So like, there's so much uh, good things and um, from uh, from and, women and leadership. being partners. Like yes. that's the point as well. From the beginning was yeah. like for men and women to be partners in leadership, partners yeah. in ministry, partners in all that stuff. Doesn't yeah. mean you have to be married, but like right. being partners with other people. Like yes. it's about that. Not mm-hmm. necessarily let's let's usurp all the men and put women in power. It's about let's right. let's give women the seat at the table and mm-hmm. then partner. Women partner with men because men are not the enemy. And right. w- men partner with women because it doesn't mean that you're now going to fail because it's there's weak. Yes, it's mutuality. mutuality. That's, that's what God had intended, Absolutely. Okay, so I think when we talk about the biblical stuff, yes. Um, so <laughs> obviously we'll we'll get into Paul. I think that's going to be the biggest mm-hmm. the biggest hurdle, um, of course, for yes. any kind of interpretation of women in ministry. But before that, women had leadership significant leadership roles all throughout the Bible. Yes, and. Um, I kind of wanted to just mention some folks and then maybe you can talk through them a little bit. Yeah. But like in the Old Testament, there's several notable female leaders. Like we'll talk about Miriam. Mm-hmm. She was a leader, uh, both a worship leader and a political leader in yep. Exodus. You know, um, it, you can read this in Exodus 15, 20. Huldah was a prophetess and a reformer, 2 Kings 22. Mm-hmm. Esther, of course, was a queen and a Jewish leader. But the greatest, probably greatest female leader in the whole Bible yeah. is uh, Deborah. Yep. And so she was the great judge and she was kind of considered the greatest judge. A lot of the judges were whack. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like they just did terrible <laughs> stuff, killed family members in order to become judges. Right. It wasn't even supposed to be like this executive leadership type of thing. Right. But they made it that. But it become that, that so quick. Yeah. And so, but, but Deborah, yeah. not only is she a spiritual, like a prophetess uh, leader, she held the highest office. She also became a political leader, leading people through war and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And just led with a lot of wisdom. Yep. So this is what judges four, four through five says. Now, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth. So she was also married and she was a leader. She was the girl. Yep. You know what I mean? That's, that's yep. important for people that's to see. That's huge. Yeah. Was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill county of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So that's what a judge does. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she's called a prophet. She's called a leader. She's called a judge. And um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the highest thing that before the the kings were established with uh, Saul, right? Um, that was the highest uh, highest place, and God's intention also to be led is supposed to be that uh, God is the executive, God is king, yes, and we're supposed to have uh, and God chose his judges, and God chose. So his judges, it was yeah. not an accident that Deborah ended up. <laughs> right. Oops, I tripped and fell into the most important leadership role at the, in Israel at that time. <laughs> right, and so I think contextually this is really really important. Yeah. So we're talking stuff that happened three to four thousand years ago. Yep in the Middle East, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So in a, in a patriarchal society, mm-hmm. being led by a woman. Be, yep. How about that? I think that's something that we, as sometimes we get so far removed or we're in Western culture, especially us in the US, um, is that we think that because women have a lot of rights and things that we fought for and got to here, mm-hmm. that we think that, oh, well, the Bible should have should be speaking about women in the same way that we have our rights and, and privileges and freedoms now. Yeah. And it's not, friends. Uh, the ancient Near East, the Middle East, like the course of biblical, when the, the biblical timeline was, it was patriarchal at the time, but yeah. you wouldn't find a religion that wasn't. Right. Like everything of that time was patriarchal, mm-hmm. like all of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's it, I would caution us to, to make sure that we're not in putting, you know, our Western viewpoints on, on 
reading it into the text. reading it into the text yeah. yeah like because we need to be looking at not okay yeah maybe a woman could maybe why didn't god make a queen haha <laughs> like okay <laughs> maybe we're asking those questions because they seem really obvious to us now but if you look at the time and if you look at the old testament and you look at even the surrounding like religions that were uh, happening at that time like assyrian and egyptian and all that kind of stuff yeah was god was the only God mm-hmm. and Christian like J- Judaism, I suppose was the only religion that cared about women at all that gave women the leadership that Deborah had. The Bible's uh, treatment of women is in many cases, not just egalitarian, but extremely subversive yeah. to what's going on around them. Completely different from any of the mm-hmm. surrounding religions. Even like I, my sister read a book like over the summer and she cried and I cried and we read it. It's called <laughs> flawed families in the Bible. We'll put it in the, and I'll put it in the show notes, but it's talking about, you know, the stuff that is really hard to read sometimes about the old Testament, which is like uh, the rape of Tamar or yeah. the, you know, the, the situation with David and Bathsheba and like that kind of stuff where it feels really unfair. And I think for a while I struggled with our women, just the catalyst to male like success. Like, Oh, is Bathsheba just a casualty to King David becoming King David? Yeah. And so I struggled with that for a while where I was really like, God, like I don't understand like why it feels like women are just (laughs) side characters in this narrative. And it actually talks about how, God put like rules and regulations in place for Israel that actually protected women that if there was, and and this is going to sound terrible because of in our context, but it's like, if there was like a rape or a sexual assault, you had to marry that person. (laughs) And and it sounds terrible now, but if you think about it, Mm -hmm. that is the ultimate protection. Otherwise they would be or they would have been, they would have been com- they would have become prostitutes and yeah. they would have been destroyed because everything about that time was you had to have your purity when you were like, you had to be a virgin when you were married or you were a complete disgrace to your, to your family and your husband. Mm-hmm. And if you weren't, if you were a woman who wasn't married, you didn't have land, you had no security, you had no food, like you had no money, nothing. And so God's actually looking out for women yeah. in that sense because he's saying if you have been in some way defiled which he's not condoning there will prote- right. he's going to make it right yeah. and i and that blew my mind i was like oh my gosh and then even we see with like rahab and like who was a prostitute she ends up in the lineage of like yeah. <laughs> of the messiah because god's like i don't care i don't care that you were a prostitute i don't care that you were a woman like, and Ruth was a gleaner. Ru- yeah. And like we had, and she Jesus. was in the lineage. Like yeah. he put God, like had women in the lineage of, of the savior, which is crazy, especially at that time, especially in a patriarchal society, especially in an ancient Near Eastern cultural context. Mm-hmm. That's insane to and think that, that. And that we're especially lower in society. Yes. Not just women, but women that were no, lower in society. No, women, not just like, not just the Deborahs. Mm-hmm. But the Rahabs, the Ruths, the one with no protections, the one who were the bottom of the totem pole, the ones Ruth, who were- Ruth, for example, she was by herself. Like there was no, yeah. there was no man- Male protection at all. Male protection at all. Nope. So when they were gleaning, that was to survive. Yeah. And so God not only saw women and provided protections for them, but he also made, put them in lineage, put them in places of power, like in Deborah, like with Esther, like he didn't just- 
you know, talk about women. He put his money where his mouth was and women were in these positions and he was actually protecting them in a lot of ways. Right. And so I feel like that can be the risk of putting Western views into mm-hmm. the scriptures because, well, we're like, well, why was a woman not a queen or why was a woman not this? Yeah. Or why did he let these things happen? And it's like, because society let him happen society let him happen but god was so good but you would miss that if you weren't really digging into like the cultural context and and digging into the exegesis of scripture is like and it's also like you can't subvert to the point where mm -hmm. it won't work at all right so like like if you're in a society and you're trying to push out of the box you have to go to the edge of the box and then push there right you can't just like go all the way through the box <laughs> and then tell people to like hold whatever it is that's out there. You know right. what I mean? Like, like you have to push society where it's going. Yep. And if you're in this extremely patriarchal society mm-hmm. and they're telling you, Hey, you can't get a divorce. Cause if you divorce your wife, cause people would, the men would divorce wives for like anything, for like literally any, anything, literally anything. And, at all. And it's like, if you do that, you are totally messing them up for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And so it's unjust. So it, it was more just to talk about that. And it's also why we have like eye for an eye, like back in the day, like even just some regular <laughs> things, like they were like, oh, you stole one of my sheep, so I will kill your entire family. And they're like, it's well, like, eye for an eye. <laughs> and so yeah, Joey said, no, it, if you kill the sheep, you take a sheep back, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Yeah. So like it was a more just thing in this mm-hmm. kind of tribal society yes. that was, um, was that way. And so yes. I think the context is just extremely important. Huge. All right. So that is, I think, super good. But I think- the question that most people are going to ask our elephant in the room, the elephant in the room, are <laughs> our the, first Timothy two, <laughs> the two and, and first Corinthians 14. First so Corinthians the, 14. these are the two passages by, um, Paul mm-hmm. where he seems to not be down about women doing stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, and lead I'm going to read these real quick. Yep. And, um, cause there is, this definitely the challenge because if you read them at face value without like context, um, they, they say what they say, they say what they say. <laughs> and even, if, even if you look in the context, it's still difficult to decipher. So yeah. like, um, so like, let's talk about these a little bit. Mm-hmm. So first you got, uh, first Timothy two eleven. actually, let me go read the first Corinthians one first. Cause go that one's it. a little easier to defend sort of, Kay. um, then the first Timothy one's harder to defend. Yep. So first Corinthians 14, 34, 35 says, Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. Mm -hmm. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. So I'll just make a note here. Paul is saying, why should women be quiet? Because this is what the law says. So he's appealing to the law, Jewish law and tradition Mm -hmm. of how a woman should act in church. Okay. Because the second one, the appeal is different. That's why it's harder. Yep. <laughs> so, um, um, First Timothy two eleven through fifteen says, "A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety." Mm-hmm. So. Here, Paul did not appeal to the law. Mm-hmm. He appealed to scripture. Yep. He said, Adam and Eve, he talked about the story of there. So mm-hmm. some people will say that this is then an archetype. Right. So if you look at, this is how God made men and women because it's Adam and Eve, he's talking about them. So it's an archetype. This mm-hmm. is something that belongs to all 
women and men always. Mm -hmm. The other one you can say to the law, be like, oh, well, it was the law of the day, so it doesn't apply to us. And right. so, it's a, so it's a little easier for that. So, all right, well, that's, the, that, that's just laying it out. So come on, teach us, Megan, let us know. Oh, What's goodness. So there's a class at LPU with my, my king himself, Jim W. Adams, and he, he's, the man. he's the man and he does a, he does all these projects that we have like five projects and they're big, like essentially big papers. And our final project is on first Timothy two and the either defense of Paul or the challenge of Paul's statement in first Timothy two about women in leadership. Mm -hmm. And so my, I wrote my paper obviously on why that on the, on the challenge of first Timothy two, not because I think Paul is wrong or mm. because I think that Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, but I think because when you really are digging into the cultural context of the day, digging into what is actually happening in the churches in which Paul is writing to, mm -hmm. it becomes more than just, it's not necessarily a direct command for all women always. Yeah. And not it, universal, not universal and becomes more contextual for the, the context through which Paul's writing. So why is it not an archetype? Because if they, they'll, they'll say it is universal, uh -huh. if it is an archetype, which is, I mean, but I think even we've chatted a little about how the relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden was not originally this. I mm -hmm. would say that the, the response here is out of a fallen a relationship with Adam and Eve mm -hmm. where even like in Genesis, it's like Eve eats the fruit, but then Adam eats the fruit as well. Yeah. Like it's not like a solo. It's not a solo move. Right. Like Eve eats it. And then also Adam eats it. And then there's like the fall where it talks about, you know, we will have pain and childbirth, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so in my paper, in this really long paper that I ended up having, like having to write and I loved it. It was about how Paul was writing to a church that was having a lot of struggle with women in that church specifically who were trying to be very disruptive mm -hmm. in church, yeah. how they were coming in and they were teaching and there was a lot of false gospel being spoken in this church that he's talking to. It was Gentile women coming yeah. in. Yeah, Gentile women yeah. coming in and it wasn't just women, but it was women in addition to. So there were these people who were coming in and we were preaching a false gospel. And in that tradition, um, the women were kind of the, the teachers. Yes. Yeah. And so then the, so there were these like women who were coming in and they were kind of leading astray the people who were in this church mm -hmm. and they were really coming in and they had very little like understanding or education in this, in this space, but they were coming in with a lot of authority and being like, yeah. you can't do this and you have to do this all stuff that was kind of going against what Paul was writing to and, and speaking and preaching at the time. And so his, letter to Timothy is an instruction of how to deal with these kinds of women mm. and how to deal with the kinds of women who are disruptive and how to kind of deal with the women who are trying to usurp authority, how to deal with the kind of women who are teaching false doctrine and how to deal with women who like that is the context. Yeah. So when he is writing to Timothy here in this space, mm -hmm. he is not talking about all women. He's not saying I should, I tell all women to be silent. He is writing to Timothy in an instruction to tell women who are coming in and preaching a false gospel yeah. and being disruptive and all these things that they are the ones, these are the people who need to be silent. Yeah. That these are the ones who need to not usurp, like usurp authority, authority over a man yeah. who knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. Like it's not a general statement of 
okay, I think all women should be quiet and I think all women should never preach or hold authority over a man. It's the, it's a context of, Oh, we're, we're talking about a specific group of women that are causing disruption and division in the church. And so Paul is using really big, using really big terminology and he is calling back to Adam and Eve because he's giving a scriptural basis for why this needs to be what it is. And not just that, um, it's a parallel. Mm -hmm. So false doctrine was entering Timothy's church through the women Yes, and sin entered Adam and Eve through Through Eve. Mm -hmm. So I think that's J-Dub's, one of his major points Mm -hmm. that it's not an archetype saying this is how all women are always. Yep. He's using that scripture sheerly to show the parallel. To parallel it. Yeah. Yep. Where it's not just, he's not a, making a, a generalized statement that we should be using to tell women now mm-hmm. that they need to be silent or that they need to not hold authority. It's a direct instruction to a kind of issue that they were facing. Paul was trying to help Timothy yeah. through a pastoral moment. Like yeah. he is writing to, to help Timothy through a moment where he is really struggling with what to do with this church because he's seeing something that he really doesn't like. Yeah. And that is still true. If anyone's coming into your church and preaching a false gospel, whether male or female, like tell them to be silent. Like that's, that's what we should be doing. But this is not a call to a universal decree and command to keep all women silent for the rest of always. I want to point out, um, there's also another common view. Um, I don't necessarily hold it. I'm not sure if you (laughs) do, but like, uh, that, uh, that it's a redaction that it was added on later, later on, because a lot of people think that the, um, pastoral epistles weren't even written by Paul. Hmm. Um, that were written like kind of pseudepigraphal. That means like in the name of Paul by one of the disciples yeah. later on. I don't know if I hold that, um, but that's just kind of common in biblical studies. Yeah. And so some people are like, well, you know, later on they got more patriarchal. So they added it to try to like establish that there. I like the what what, what you just said. I like J-Dub's paper um, just to show the con- contextually bound stuff. There was a problem in that church. It was a pastoral movement. Yeah. And, um, and it was using... Uh, uh, Genesis to show a parallel, not to, to show an archetype. Right. So, um, so that's really good. And I think an important part of it too, is Paul had a habit of calling both men and women fellow workers. <laughs> yes. Right. He did this in Romans 16. Um, and then, and calls that his churches submit to them, to these workers. Yep. Right. To like both men and women. Yep. And so that's first Corinthians 16, first Thessalonians five, 12. And then, Paul encourages men and women both to prophesy. First mm-hmm. Corinthians eleven five. He calls Phoebe a deacon mm-hmm. in Romans sixteen. Priscilla is usually named alongside her husband Aquila as leaders in the church. Junia is referred to as an apostle. Yep. Romans sixteen seven. And yet Paul, in several places, makes statements that seem like he doesn't have authority over men. But his respect of women's authority in all these other passages, in the beginnings and endings of letters, seems to indicate that he's talking about a contextual problem. Yep. Right. Yeah. So, because um, why would he appoint leaders in which he will then go on to rebuke? Right. <laughs> and and also, also just a sidebar, like the like some churches uh, get really specific about deacons, like the term deacon, elder, and like oh, they're in right. the Bible, like oh, wait, women can be deacons, they can't be elders, and blah blah blah, deaconess, right. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, they seem to be pretty interchangeable in in the New Testament, just like talking about leaders in the church. Right. Um, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. But the, the point is, I think Paul affirms women in leadership all the time. He gives them props all the time. Yeah. Women were letter readers, you know what I'm saying? And that's something that the head of the church would do. Um, you know, there's a really good book by um, the New Testament scholar who's really great, uh, Nijay Gupta. And it's called Tell Her Story. And he goes through basically all of the women in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes, but definitely recommend reading that. And then I'm um, talking about what their role was, what they were doing and how they were leading. So 
Yeah, that's good. So good. All right. So I think to end this um, very riveting conversation <laughs> so we don't go forever. Because um, I could go forever. Don't could, even get, we could, don't even we get could, me going. We could go forever. <laughs> it's a very important topic. We yeah. could go forever, but we'll keep it concise. Um, I think there's a general biblical narrative. Yeah. So there's two things to note. One, we have, uh, there's a, a passage, Galatians 3.28, that I think speaks really, really powerfully towards something. There's, there's a Jewish morning prayer from the Talmud that's still prayed today. It's like a men's prayer. Mm-hmm. And it says, thank you, God, for not making me a Gentile, a slave, and a woman. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's an ancient from third century um, oh. BCE, and, but it's still recited today. And so it's just like, one, that's brutal. You know what I mean? Yeah. These, these dudes are just like thanking God for not being a woman. You're not just like, like mm, thank you. Mm. But like, but <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that gives you a context to what Paul says in Galatians 3.28. That yeah. makes this passage so much more powerful. Yeah. So Paul, so he, they said what? They said, not making me a Gentile slave or woman. And then look at what Paul says here. Oh, there on. is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Come on. He is specifically referencing that. That, <laughs> that prayer. So I, I tell my classes, I'd like to submit, this is 2000 years ago, that is the most egalitarian statement in antiquity. Yeah. So we, we read that now and we're like, ah, okay, cool. Uh-huh. Um, you know what I mean? But, uh, but no, it's not. And also, we also need to realize that like, I've heard some really terrible interpretations of that too. Like there's no male or female. So, you know, like there's, so no, whatever, there's yeah. no gender issue. Or like, yeah. That's not what's happening. They're, these are power dynamics between, right? Yeah. They're so, not saying these things don't exist. It's, it's obvious that these things exist. Right. So, but like, so, but like, um, they're talking about like Jew or Gentile, there's power dynamic between the two. Yeah. Jews were allowed in the church. Gentiles weren't or like in the early, you know, that's how they were talking about yep. it. Slave nor free, obviously the free are, and then, and then men and women, yeah. that's power dynamics in society. Mm-hmm. What it's saying is that in Christ Jesus, all of these power dynamics are gone, gone. gone. And so that's a uh, one that's like incredibly powerful. It's incredibly egalitarian. And I think it goes towards the trajectory of what the Bible was always for. Yeah. Remember we started as equals, came <laughs> from the rib. Yep. To, and so man and woman became one flesh, started as equals. Then the fall happened, all stuff. And then this whole story yeah. is a narrative of redemption, of, getting of restoration, back. of getting back to that. And so who is the one that gets us back? Jesus, right? Jesus. So um, that's like my favorite answer to everything. Right. Jesus. The Sunday school, the Sunday school answer. Yeah. But the biblical trajectory, the overall biblical narrative, I think is so great summed up. So when Jesus died and resurrected, that is not the end of his story mm-hmm. or the end of, of his work on the earth. Yeah. There was one final major act. <laughs> that was he, the spirit baptizer, Jesus, the spirit baptizer, pouring mm-hmm. out his spirit yep. over all flesh acts yep. two. That's the story of Pentecost. This is the birth of the church, but yep. also now it's not just a church, but it's a church that is infilled with the Holy spirit. Yeah. And so now they are being led and we are supposed to take on the ministry of that. Jesus started like yeah. we are carrying on his ministry. That's, that's the final act of his earthly ministry. Yep. And we do this until Christ returns. Yep. Right. So, what is, a, what is powerful, if you read this again, Acts 2, 17 through 21, and this is like our bread and butter for Pentecostals. This, yeah. is, this is what Come we on, do. Come on, this is our thing. This is what we do. <laughs> to get us on our pedestal. <laughs> yes. So this is Acts 2, 17 to 21. 
it's a quote from Joel 2 that Peter is saying, he's quoting it, right? Mm-hmm. And he's saying essentially, hey, this is being fulfilled right now. Right now as we and, speak. And he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters and will no. prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Joel 2 foretold of a time when God would pour out his spirit on flesh, right? Your sons Mm -hmm. and daughters will prophesy. That was verse 28 of Joel 2. And then on the day of Pentecost, Peter confirmed that that time is now here. And so any daughter of God has the full rights and privileges to declare his words, testify of his salvation and prophesy by his spirit. This is what is said in Acts 2. So by the spirit, women have the full authority of the kingdom. They can and should be ministers of the gospel. Yep. I think at any role. And so complementarian, I think their heart is right. They're trying to understand equality, but trying to understand it, I think, I think they're missing a major key of mm-hmm. that biblical narrative. Yeah. And that is the spirit poured out in all flesh. Yep. This means we all do it. Simply, if God calls you, go. Go. And there's just an extremely practical point. Like, just seems odd that God would not use half of humanity to preach his word. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If he's trying to reach all of his people, you know, it's kind of, it's a little fun, funny yeah. to think about how we would disqualify. And hey, women were the first ones to proclaim that Jesus was risen. Mm-hmm women at the tomb. Yeah. And so I, I'm hard pressed to believe that if they were the first that we will not. That was also extremely subversive. Yeah. That like, if they're trying to, 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 to hold tight to their narrative, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have done the first it. People. Cause if they wanted people to know, why would they have told women mm-hmm. if no one's going to listen? But that's what God <laughs> does. God goes and subverts these societal structures that we have made yeah. on purpose to show the power of his Holy spirit to yep. show that that is how it's going to come through. Jesus wasn't born in, in a, in a, in a castle. He was born in a manger. Yep. You know, it was a subversion. By a woman. Of, by, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Good point. That part. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's great. So I've had many pastors, many great pastors, some not so great pastors, um, in growing up. And one of my favorite pastors was, uh, pastor Meredith. She was awesome. Um, and, uh, and she's out there. If you hear this, Pastor Meredith, you're awesome. She's the one who married my wife. And you're I. a queen, Pastor Meredith. Yeah, she, she, uh, she was spectacular. So I just want to, I want to personally validate the calling of uh, women in ministry. You're calling Megan as a, as a pastor yourself and, um, and your moms and, and also the, the really incredible good work that you guys do. So again, doesn't mean you're not a Christian if you don't believe it, but come on, man. But we'd saying, love for you to come party with us. Yeah, some women, <laughs> some women be saying some brilliant things and we really need to be paying attention. You know what I'm saying? That's all I'm saying. All right. Oh, uh, Before we go, remember, this was brought to you by the College of Theology and Ministry at Life Pacific University. We'll see you next time. Bye.